The same with anything we do. And you don't have to be fine artists to have an exhibit and explore talent. I love that definition that it's recurring behavior because what it means is we can change it and improve it. It's the Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to the Inspiration Place podcast, an art world insider podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now, your host, Miriam Shulman. You're coming into the city now. You're not going to, you're selling your place out there or what's happening? Yes. I 100% am moving to the city. Oh my God. I, what is prompting this? We put an offer on an apartment. We have an accepted oh my offer. God. Oh my God. What a fantastic neighborhood. We're neighbors. That's right. We're like, what, 12 blocks away? Something. Honey, everyone else moved out of the city during the pandemic and you're moving back in. That's right. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So we can like, So you're moving together. My husband and I, yeah, we, but we're moving. Okay, together, yeah. because part of me was like, oh, oh, you know, like, no, no. I'm moving to the city, like, bye. I, I'm no, I, sh- I should be clear. Yeah, no, no, we, <laughs> yeah, because that would that's a scenario for for people. No, no, yeah. our, our so my son emigrated to Israel. He's never coming back. Really? Yeah. He, when you say never coming back, why are you saying it like that? He made citizenship. Wow. Yeah, that's it. He's he's doing that now. That's right. He actually asked me, so this is a 21-year-old, by the way, so you never know. You no, know, of course like, not. What do they know? Like, especially <laughs> like what your book's about. Like, there's lots of different know? things that could be, um, this sounds weird. That's a big deal. Sense. That's a really big decision. Yeah. Yeah. Something he's wanted to do I take it you're on the fence time. about that. No, no. I am in full radical acceptance of anything my children want to do. Okay, good. I'm just missing him because of COVID. I can't go there. Like, I was supposed to actually yeah. go there next week and the borders are closed. Because oh of my Omicron, so I can't even, I haven't seen him in like several months. That's not easy. Yeah, it kind of sucks. So anyway, he moved out. My other child doesn't want to move out. Well, she does, <gasps> but she needs some encouragement. So we're like, fine, we're getting rid of the house. Now you have no choice. Oh, seriously. So she's like not coming with you. She has to find another place to be. Yes. Well, that's one way to do it. <laughs> I mean, she, can, she can sleep on the couch. It's pretty much her option, you know. Oh my God. Well, how old is she? She's 24. Okay, so, she's so ready. Well, that's what we we're talking about. We're not talking about 18 year olds, you know. No, right. She's ready. Right. And it's 24, she's ready to, yeah. to do something and she needs that little push. And how exciting just to change your change up your life a little bit. 100 percent So we actually we we bought a farmhouse in the What? Co- yeah. So during the pandemic, it's always been my husband's dream to get a farmhouse because he grew up in the country. And I'm the city mouse and he's the country mouse. So that's like so you, instead of being where you are, you bought a country place and you're moving to the city. Well, we're getting rid of this suburb situation. Well, that's right. I'm saying you're going yeah. to the two extremes. And so now you exactly. have exactly. So once we had the farmhouse, I didn't want this house anymore. Right. So, yeah, that's exciting. I'm very excited. Let's talk about you. I'm so excited about your book. Oh, my God. Thank you. It's all very exciting. It's it really, really is. good. I have not finished it. I normally finish the books. So I wouldn't expect you to read the whole thing before our interview. <laughs> I normally Don't do, worry. actually. I'm kind of that weird bird that way. But this is like pee in the pants funny. It's really? Like, because it's, when I read it, I was like, this isn't that funny. No, no. So 24-year-old, I was like, Talia, you got to read this. I was like passing her the book. <laughs> like, like that whole passage about losing your virginity. 
like, oh my God, this is like, if Judy Bloom decided to write a self-help book, this would be it. Oh my God, what a wonderful quote. Can, you, can I quote you on that Absolutely. one? Absolutely. I love Judy Bloom. Yeah. That's where, I, that's where I first got really excited about reading was reading Judy Bloom and knowing you could talk about that stuff. So yeah, yeah. I talked about the first time I had sex. In not great detail, but enough. No, it, it, the way you did it was beautiful. It was just kind of like that Seinfeld-ish, neurotic, you know, uh, New Yorker yes. sharing, but not in a way that you, not like in a, a way that it makes gross. Go, Ooh, right. <laughs> no. Like, it wasn't it was like hilarious. you'd be embarrassed for your daughter to see it. Well, right. I, I passed her the book. Exactly. I was like, handed it to her. She's not even into self-help books, but she might be into this one. I was like, look at this. That's the goal. Yeah. It's self-help with a penis in it. There is a penis in it. <laughs> and not too many penises. It's not like the, the bro not market are right. Not a lot. Right. That's so awesome. Okay. So um totally screwed up my flow that I didn't read your introduction. Go ahead. Do, do you want me to read? Let me do it now and do I'll it. make my editor reorder this whole thing. Fine. Okay. All right. Hello, passion maker. So th- th- these, this is a horrible. I call all my people passion maker and the book is unfollow your passion. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. Okay. It's okay that they love it. You should all have right. passion. <laughs> Hello. Oh, first of all, I, can we just say, I love that you say passion maker, not passion waiter, True. not passion follower. You're, you're talking about being in control of it. That's exactly the idea. That's right. So That's correct. You're generating it. That's right. That's right. Okay. This will all be in the show. We're not editing any of this. Okay. Perfect. Hello. <laughs> We're breaking the fourth wall. Well, hello. This is Miriam Shulman, your creator of Inspiration. And you're listening to episode 177 of the Inspiration Place podcast. I am so grateful that you're here. Every person on the planet wants their life to mean something. The problem is that you've been told there's only one way to find that meaning. So in this episode, you'll discover why talent is overrated. I've been saying that for years, by the way. (laughs) And and you know, I I plucked all these bullets directly off of Amazon on your like, what are you? Yeah, I put them there for you. Right. Thank you. How to confront the challenges that stop you in your tracks, like boredom, loss, and fear, and how and why to unhook yourself from other people's agendas, which is why I embrace my son moving to Israel. His dream, not my dreams, his dream. Right. Okay. By the way, before we dive into today's show, I wanted to make sure you knew about my free training. This is my commercial. How to sell more art without being Insta famous. If you were disappointed with your art sales last year, Let's get this year off to a great start. In this masterclass, you'll discover the five most common mistakes artists make that sabotage their success. You'll also learn the five foundations you need in place to build your profitable art business. Plus, you'll hear from artists who have done it. They are so inspiring. To choose your showtime, go to shulmanart.com forward slash sell more art. Okay. Sell it, with- girl. Sell it. Okay. You haven't been introduced yet, by the way. Sorry. <laughs> no. All right. Now back to the show or on with the show. Today's guest is an award-winning writer, speaker, brand advisor, and author of Unfollow Your Passion, How to Create a Life That Matters to You. Her TEDx talk, Stop Searching for Your Passion, has surpassed seven, holy cow, million views. And HubSpot named her one of the top 18 female speakers who are killing it. 
a former magazine editor and radio host at Martha Stewart. She's appeared on the Today Show, Dr. Oz, The Early Show, The Martha Stewart Show, Anderson Cooper, Oprah Magazine, Marie Claire, Prevention, Business Insider, Forbes, Inc., and The Inspiration Place. Please welcome to The Inspiration Place, Terry Trespicio. Hey, Terry, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy you're here. here. I've made it. I've made it. Even though you've been here the whole time. (laughs) Yep. So, Terry, I just want to tell my listeners that um, I've been inside Terry's apartment. So, before I know, is it the same place? That's the same place? Yes. Oh, with the little, the screen. I have a wall divider up so you can't see my mess back there. So when we got together, it was like that's the one of the last times people were actually gathering in person before the world fell apart. Is that right? That was our last gathering. I am so glad we did that. We had a pop-up workshop, a writing salon in my house, in my apartment here all day. And that was it. And then everything went into lockdown like a few weeks later. Yeah. Because it was like, it was in February or... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And right. then that was it. So, it was so like, glad we got to do that. We washed our hands a lot. We thought that was protecting us, you know? We really weren't tuned into it yet. No, I we were not. I wasn't really, I was no. not aware. I was not afraid. I had no, I was too ignorant. No, and right after that, I went to San Diego and did karaoke with people and, oh, and came home with a very bad something, something, probably COVID. Oh. Yeah. Huh. So hmm. I'm okay. Obviously, I'm fine. Thank God. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> but the karaoke, that was not exactly a, a safe thing to do. Probably not. So anyway, Terry was, you were a very talented workshop leader. It was all about writing. And if you are into creative writing, actually, one of the things that was super fun about your book is there's like writing prompts throughout. Do you want to talk about why you did that? Yes. Well, yeah, of course. Not just because I'm a writer, but because just as the spa industry co-opted massage, it's unfortunate that writers have co-opted writing or publishing has co-opted writing. Because the fact is, everyone can benefit from a great massage. And everyone can benefit from some time on the page. I don't think it's just for certain people to do. And I think that using it as a tool is key for gaining some clarity and insight into our own lives. So I wanted to make sure that was part of it because it's part of what I do is lead these workshops. And so I wanted to take an element of that and put it in the book. Yeah, it was it was an amazing workshop. It actually gave me the courage to move forward with my own publishing journey. I don't know if you realized that because it was like... Yeah, it helped. That's great. Yeah, and none of it, none of what we wrote was is in the, doesn't the, matter is in the book. But it was just like you and Laura Belgrade kind of saying, "Yeah, we're interested in your stories." So my That's listeners probably know by now, but you may not know. I actually have a publishing contract with HarperCollins, so it's super. super I knew sad. you had a book coming out. Oh. I don't know when. Well, they told me they ran out of paper. <laughs> it's not coming out what? until twenty twenty three. That's what I was told. It sounds stupid and ridiculous. They ran out of paper? They, they, like, it's, there's a paper shortage. Like, okay, that's very odd. I, I thought so, too. I mean, it's like, yeah. okay, what, what's the real truth? Like, is there somebody else you're bumping? Like, my, my imposter syndrome is coming true, you know? Like, oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, look, I get it. Shipment stuff is a pain. Maybe, I hope we have enough ink. What if we have all the paper and they run out of ink that year? Congratulations, <laughs> though. That's a huge no, thank deal. you. But we're here to talk about you, not me. But no, it was. It hasn't been moved that much. It was supposed to be October twenty twenty two, and now it's. They just moved it four months. It's February of twenty three. Okay, okay. I will be like I said to you earlier. I'm only about halfway through. It is piss in your pants. Funny. I loved it, but I will be relying on the on the questions you provided. Yes, of course. All right. So I've always had this 
thought myself, but I want I'm super interested in your answer why you think talent is overrated. Well, talent is overrated when we think of it as a finite thing that you're either born with or not. If we look at talent like cheekbones or green eyes or birthmarks, then you're born with something or you're not. And that, of course, is part of what psychologists call the fixed mindset. Whereas a growth mindset is one in which we believe we can cultivate and grow what we have and become better and change and evolve and all those things. So I think of talent as, oh, nice if you have it, overrated. If you think, here's why. If you think you are talented, you might not make an effort because you'll rely on the talent. You might not make an effort to really sharpen your skill. If you believe you're not talented, you may never make an effort and develop the skill. So looking at it in a fixed way doesn't help. But who has changed my mind about talent is Marcus Buckingham, who is part of, you know, um, he wrote First Break All the Rules. He's this brilliant business thinker and, and business psychology thinker. And he says that, in fact, we can change and talent doesn't have to be a genetic thing. Talent, the way he has seen it by interviewing top managers and leaders is something that we do over and over again, which is what I thought skill was. He looks at it as the way you do it. So Miriam, the way you create art, the way you paint, with all those things, the way you do it, someone else does a different kind of painting. And yet the way you do it over and over is what makes a Miriam work of art different from someone else's. And the same with anything we do. And you don't have to be a fine artist to have an exhibit and explore talent. I love that definition that it's recurring behavior because what it means is we can change it and improve it. So in that regard, I do think of it. But when I think, like Seth Godin says, to call a professional talented is insulting, he writes in the mm-hmm. practice. What really is what they are is skilled. Yeah. So I like it because it feels more worker. Like it feels like you can make it. That you have control over it. You have some control that you're not right. like, oh, well, I'm not talented enough. It's just, well, it doesn't help. I mean, being the good mom who read all, all the self-help books. So I was very careful with my kids, like if they did well on the test to say, oh, you must have worked really hard instead of saying, oh, you're so smart. So smart. Because, right. so you know, smart. right. Because if that's the reason they did well, then if they don't do well, are they stupid? They'll prove you wrong. Or they won't tell you if they need help because if they tell you, you won't think they're smart anymore. That tying up with identity, I think it is a really big problem. Right. And then really rewarding that it's the hard work that got them there, not relying on some magical right. talent or smartness or something. Okay, Well, for kids and also adults too, because yeah. they're like, am I really a this? Am I really an artist? Am I really a writer? It's like right. this identity part is what slows us down. Are you doing it? Then you do that thing. Right. And then also that, idea that you're supposed to be good at something right away, which you talk about in the book with the whole thing with your bucket list. Do you want to, where's oh, the good yeah. question to get us into that? Well, actually okay, the whole we'll thing just about talk the, about it. Well, the lore of the secret genius, you just said yes. like, when we try something, we hope that we're just amazing at it right away. Like, right. you know, that is stuff of great movies and shows and you're like, oh, I'm going to discover I'm a genius. What that is, is deciding that, you know, that it, that if I don't do it amazingly right away, it's not for me. And that there has been research around people with fixed mindsets about passion, people who have a rigid idea of passion. I'm born with it. I'm meant to do this. I'm not meant to do this. In fact, the people who have a fixed mindset around passion 
some research has shown that I cite in the book that they will be quicker to give up when things get hard. Mm. Oh, must not be my passion after all. Must not be for me. They, whereas someone who isn't attached to one or the other may work harder at exploring it. That's pretty important because if you're quick to dismiss something like, oh, I thought I liked it, but I guess it's not for me, then how many things are you going to give up on? But the bucket list thing you're bringing up is about the, I think, look, I don't have a bucket list. I have a list of things I'm going to do and not do. And it's not about being on a bucket list for me. For some people, having a bucket list is helpful. But the question is, why? Why are those things on the bucket list? Do you want to go to Machu Picchu? Amazing. It's on your bucket list. Someday you'll go, maybe. If learning Japanese is on your bucket list, well, that takes years of study. That's not something you just do. A bucket list usually is something you're going to go do, like kiss the Blarney Stone, which why would anyone bother? That is so gross. But still, the idea of doing something once and assuming it brings some kind of larger meaning is something that I think, hmm, really? The things that we do and get better at and give ourselves a sense of progress on, that is what's going to yield more motivation, more inspiration, more power than if I go do this thing once. Case in point, you know, I've done some stand-up comedy. I've taken years of classes. I've performed it. I even placed in some local contests, things like that. I enjoy doing it. I did not do it because it was on a bucket list. I did it because I wanted to get inside of the machine of it and learn how it worked and see what skills I had and what I needed to get better at. I'd never done stand-up before. I did a lot of speaking. Stand-up is very different. So I went and took a class. And when they went around the room and said, well, what brought you to this class? To go and do stand-up is uh, that's scary. And one of the people in the room said, oh, it was just on my bucket list. Mm. And in my mind, I was like, way to cop out. Because it's like, oh, nothing to see here. I might not be good, but it doesn't matter. It's just, I'm just, it's just my list. I'm just checking it off the list. That person didn't say that, but that's how it comes across. Whereas all of us there wanted to try it or we wouldn't have paid the money and showed up. But don't tell me you're there to audit the class. You know, like if you're really going to do something and really into it, risk it and be in there with us. Don't stand on the side and say, well, I'm just doing it to do it once. Because doing stand-up once will teach you nothing. And the thing about really good stand-up comedy is that they make it seem so easy. Like they act like there's this thing that just happened on the way to the club. <laughs> like they act like they're happened on the way right, to the club. Right. Like they're they're acting like they're making up the jokes right then. And that takes a lot of practice and a lot of skill to have it be so effortless. Well, yeah, when you look at a great comic, you go, that's so easy. They're just talking about things that happen in their life that are funny. Funny things happen to me. I could probably do that. And you know what? If you learn it, you can. But lest you think anyone can stroll up there for five minutes and just kind of wing it, you can. You'll learn a lot, but not as much as you will when you learn the skill. Because even, I think it was Seinfeld special years ago. He was like, oh, I know you were all going to do this, right? But you just you just decided not to do it. Like, as if it's not a very unique skill. And I'll tell you this, I took a class from a teacher named Jim David. He's been doing comedy for decades. He makes his living from it. And he said, oh, you think you have to have a big personality to do comedy? You think you have to be some big, scary talent? He's like, no, you don't. Plenty of the comics working today are not interesting and they do not have great personalities. They have a skill and they work hard at it. And you can too. All you need to know to do stand-up comedy is learn how to write a joke. Mm. learn how to write a joke and deliver the joke. So it's not like, oh, I could never do that. You could if you wanted to, but it's easier to say, well, I couldn't. 
Mm. Most people don't want to do stand-up comedy, but it's just one example. What about all the other things in our lives? We think, well, we could, but we can't. We're too old. We're not talented enough. We make up all kinds of stuff that are, is not relevant. Yeah, like I sometimes will hear from people who say, I'm, I'm too old for this. I'm 74. I was like, really? Well, I have a client right now who's 78. She's going to be 79 and she's like working really hard on her art. So when are you going to give up and just roll over and die? Is that it? You just, I mean, I have, I have a friend in, in her forties who said, well, I want to change careers now. I've been a school principal for years. I really want to do something different. I was like, that's so exciting. This is exciting. Yeah. She's like, but don't you think it's hard for us? You know, our generation to go, no, what do you, who told you that? Who told you that it was hard? You told yourself that. So you're in your 40s. You're going to just roll over and die. Wait till you uh, decompose. You're not going to take on anything new because you can't because you're too old. That makes me crazy, especially when women say it, because they're internalizing what people have said to them. And women tend to play it small because we're supposed to be skinny and not take up space. Like and we're supposed to be 25 forever? That's not, that's, not a, that's not even a real thing. You couldn't make me go back to 25. If you, you, couldn't, you couldn't pay me to be 25 again. Right. So true. Why is it dangerous to getting hung up on passion? The danger is when we're hung up on a passion we think we're supposed to have or know and don't. If you're obsessed with a thing and focused and you're pursuing it, no one should get, I'm not going to get in your way. No one should get in your way. But if, if you feel hung up, to me, that feels like maybe you're stuck or you worry that you're not living the life you're supposed to be living. I was supposed to do this. There is no supposed to, is what I say over and over again. I would want everyone to experience lots of passion in lots of areas of their lives. But this idea that by making one career choice or one, any life decision is supposed to yield a boundless passion, unchecked emotional high or unfettered focus, that just is not life. And to me, especially, not just, it's not just a woman thing, but for women, I always point to the whole Prince Charming thing, because what we used mm. to be sold was that a man was coming to save you from yourself, from despair, from loneliness, and that when and if that man finds you and you're a good girl, then you will be rewarded with the attention and love of one man. Now, some people really love that idea and they want to follow that. I won't get in your way about that either. But what scares me is that I think we've swapped out the Prince for passion thinking that once we find our one passion, my life will have meaning. I'll know what my purpose is. This is the same kind of singular thinking that isn't helpful because there isn't any one thing you're meant to do or follow or be. And when we get into that thinking that there's supposed to be one thing, well, there's a pretty good chance that we're doing it wrong. And that's where we get ourselves hung up. And one thing I want to say, because in my world, so I help a lot of artists. There's a lot of artists listening to the show. But even within that, it's not like they're done once they decide they, they want to be an artist. Because one of the biggest questions I hear is, how do I choose which medium or what to paint? So it's like, <laughs> they're so hung up. So now this is my words. They're so hung up on like, they have to make the right choice of like, well, are, should they be pastel? Should they be oil? This is what's more profitable. This is what I want to do. I, I'm not, you know, they get very caught up and that they end up doing nothing. So by staying yeah. in that indecision of they don't know which medium to pick, they actually end up doing none of the things. So it, like what happens is that indecision um, lets them off the hook of taking those risks and actually moving forward with becoming yes. an artist. 
That's exactly, I was going to say, isn't it kind of convenient to get so stopped by the asset, the specific outcome of the art that you just don't do it? In my world, it's, I don't know if this is self-help or a memoir. Am I writing a novel or am I writing this? Should I tell the real story? Should I? They get so caught up in the in the details and the minutiae of a specific asset. And I say, don't make an asset of yourself. Stop thinking about the end product as determining of your what's worth your time. To mm-hmm. me, for writers, for people who love to use the page, uh, I say, you write and write and write, and then you figure out what it is later. So what do you say to artists when they say to you, should I do oil or pestle? Should I, what should I paint? Like, what do you tell them? Well, you know, everyone wants like that choose your own adventure where they're going to know what's the right answer. And then, you know, you maybe you can go back a few pages if you didn't like what happened and then you pick the other path. The tr- <laughs> the, you know, the truth is, is life is not a choose your own adventure book. What's more important is you pick something and you put your attention into making it the right choice. That's right. That's exactly right. And guess what? If you hate it, you change. Yeah. Right. If you're working with oils and you're like, this is interesting, but I want to try something else. That's you evolving as an artist, I would imagine. Of course. I mean, like, like, well, you're an oil person. That's it. You got to stick with that till you die. I mean, all George O'Keefe switched mediums. Lots of people switch mediums. It's okay. It's okay to do it. But the thing is, is like they didn't do it on like a weekly basis. You know, they stayed with it for a while before they switched to something else. Like, Let's see. What can you learn what, from it? Exactly. What can we do with this first? Love you that. learn. And I know, and I love that you're an artist and we can kind of talk about this here. I don't always get the chance to talk about it with an artist is that I believe that the art or I call it the work, whatever the work is, whether it's pastel, whether it's memoir, it doesn't matter that the work leads us, that the work teaches us, that it has a life and a flow and an energy that is separate from us. It's of us, but separate. And when I hear someone uh, fussing over the actual type of work they'll do, that shows me that they don't trust the work. Mm-hmm. The thing that allowed me, and I will say this as someone who has just written her first book, this is my first one. And I did not go in going, this is the book I'm going to write. And this is what it sounds like. And this is how it's going to be outlined. I didn't really know. I wrote and wrote and suggested to this agent and suggested to this publisher. And the publisher said, we like this, but here's what we think would do better. And then I wrote into that. I did not know what the book was going to be until very close to its deadline. And it's not like I was clueless, but I was letting the work sort of follow me. Well, what is the best thing for the reader to hear? What would help? Trust the work to lead you. That has changed my life. Yeah. Rather than trying to fuss over it before it's born. And by the way, I had the same experience. So for me, I didn't like when I was in your apartment, which was a year and a half ago, I didn't know what I was going to write. And I let this be a collaborative experience as I got an agent and then to the publisher and letting that evolve. But one of the things that I learned from you, Terry, that I have to say really helped me through this whole process is that I would just say to myself, you know, because I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I've never written a book before. I would say, ass in the chair. And ugly words and just like ass let, in the chair. Yeah. Meaning you're showing up. Yeah. You don't have to know what the book is yet. First of all, your book isn't due right the second. No, right? it's actually due in two weeks, but yeah. Oh, shoot. Okay. Well, you better figure it out. But that's around the time yeah, when I I'm got almost done with clear. it. But there was like some, uh, there was a lot of drama around the way, all along the way. You're only talking to me now where, where I'm like kind of on the, on the other side of that imposter syndrome mountain where, okay, now it's, it's, pretty much done. 
you know, I really want to ask you, there's, I mean, we're going in so many different directions, but we have to talk about the title of the book because Unfollow Your Passion is just so counterintuitive to what we've all been taught. So oh, it definitely is. <laughs> well, it's and like if unpack you that. Are, if you are happily following your passion, don't let me stop you. But if you worry that you didn't find the right thing or make the right choice, whatever, unfollow your passion doesn't mean ignore passion or avoid passion. What it means to me is that we we don't have to chase it around and hope it leads us to the place of riches and happiness. Rather than do that, rather than trying to find, like chase it like a, uh, you know, you're on a wild goose chase, what if we allowed passion to rise up wherever we are? Maybe I'm not meant to be an oil painter. I don't think I'm going to, but maybe after I do it for a while, I think I want to change media. Okay, fine. Then I allow that focus to come with me. Passion is portable. It doesn't live in the land that you didn't major in. Because if you think that way, then you'll think you're lost and I'll never have it. The case in point that I have, the the example is something lighthearted, like a board game. I played a lot of board games over uh, the recent holiday break. and. I found it calming. I found it fun. I thought it was a really fun way to engage with family and friends that I hadn't done in a long time. And it's, I was like, how do you play this game? I don't know. I didn't care about the game. I didn't go, we have to play my favorite game. I played games I'd never played. And within one game, I always lost the first game because I didn't know what I was doing. By the second game, I got it. I figured it out. And I was like, oh my gosh. Like it was, uh, it's a game called Mexican Train. Oh, the dominoes? Yes, Domino's. I love that game. I love it. And I was so into it while I was doing it. Would I ever answer the sentence like, what are you passionate about? Well, Mexican train. (laughs) Well, no, of course not. But when I'm in it, it feels good because I bring the passion with me wherever I go. I can be passionate about whatever's in front of me at that moment. And I'm not saying, oh, look at me. I'm special that I can do that. It actually makes my life more fun. So rather than pining for it and thinking it's out somewhere else, where are we missing an opportunity to experience it right now? One thing you said in the book, which I really liked, is the whole idea that you actually get passionate after you get good at something, which is something that, I forget the name of the author, Amy something it, something and Tiger Mother. No. You may not have read the book because no. like, this is what we like, you know, we criticize them, you know, but then we secretly want to be these tiger mothers with these perfect children. <laughs> so um, I had to read that book very carefully. So the whole idea with the tiger mom is that they force their kids to do things because they won't enjoy it until they've put in that practice and that makes them good. So they start to enjoy something after they've put in the training, the skills, the hours, all those things that we've been talking about. Like that's when the passion happens is after they get good at it. So you don't get good at it the first time you try it, like this, you know, accidental genius at comedy, like we were saying before. It's like you you have to get really good at it to make it look effortless, to make it look easy until you really love it. Until you feel it, because what feels good is to feel yourself getting something, to feel yourself improving and mastering a thing. Like I do a lot of editing my own video, which I basically kind of taught myself to do. I had a little help and then I taught myself the rest on a program I'd never used. And now I've gotten so quick at it. I'm not a professional video editor, but for my stuff, I find I love it. I go into the zone and I get like, and I've gotten better and better at it and faster. I am not trying to be a professional video editor, but that part of my life when I have to sit down and do it is a pleasure for reasons I could not have predicted. Can we allow 
the pleasure that rises, the passion, if you will, when we give ourselves a luxury of focus times time, right? To give ourselves a chance to feel good at something, even if you don't want to do it forever. Someday, maybe I won't have time to edit my own video. I'll have to hire someone to just do that. But for now, I'm learning something. I think we underestimate that. I love that. All right. So I think everyone should go get her book, Unfollow Your Passion, wherever you prefer to buy your books. It's in the stores. It's in Barnes & Noble. It is out now. It's ahead of schedule, but it's out, which is crazy. This will air in January, so it's definitely going to be out. Oh, it'll be out by then. But I'm saying like, it's out. Literally, if you're hearing us now, you can find it. You can order it. And of course, I did the audio version too. So if you'd rather listen, that is totally okay. Very funny. You know, make sure you've like gone to the bathroom because you will pee in your pants. It is so funny. Oh my gosh, I am so happy to hear you say that. Thank you. I think I made that joke (laughs) three times though. So we might edit it out. You don't have to have it three times that same joke. Okay. So that's one of the things I do, by the way. Like I tell jokes on the show that I've practiced with like my therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good. She's your first audience. I know my husband's like, stop it. This is too much money for you to be like. And you got to work your tight. That's right. You got to work your tight five. You got to work it. So make sure you get the book and also all the places where you can find Terry. You can find that. What? Trying to add one thing. If you, you can get the book wherever you want, but if you go to unfollowyourpassion.com and put in where you got it, you can join me for some fun stuff that we're doing around the launch of the book for Oh, cool. Like bonuses. Yeah. Like cool, but like we're going to do some live stuff together. And if if you ever want to hang out with me again, if not, then you just get the book and we'll never talk again. That's fine. You'll find links to everything we talked about in the show notes, which you'll find at shulmanart.com forward slash one seven seven. We'll make sure that we link to all the things, Terry, because you. if you love her as much as I do, I'm sure you're going to want to connect with her after this. And don't forget, if you like this episode, you have to check out my free masterclass. If you're ready to learn what really works and escape the social media grind, go to shulmanart.com forward slash sell more art. Alrighty, Terry, do you have any last words for my listeners before we call this podcast complete? I think my parting advice is this. Whenever you feel the squeeze of what you think you should be doing, maybe someone tells you, they give you advice. You know what you should be doing, Miriam? You know what you should do? Always push back for a minute before you swallow advice and insight from other people. Always push back and buy yourself some time and really check it against your gut. I think we've been told what to do for so long that we might get used to it. And it might be time in the next year to make new decisions for ourselves. I love that. All right. So thank you so much for being with me here today. I'll see you the same time, same place next week. Stay inspired. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course, on shulmanart.com.